former Houston Astros executive and current Fangraphs writer Kevin Goldstein joins the show to talk about the Lone Star State teams in Houston and Arlington. Plus, our usual waiver wire, pitcher preview, and injury report sections, too. Beat the Shift, coming up next. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and it's happy Bobby Bonilla Day over here in New York. That's right. It's the day that Bobby Bonilla gets paid $1,193,248.20 every year until the year 2035. Happy Bonilla Day to you, Ruven. Thank you, and same to you. But you have to remember that a lot of teams have defer- a lot of deferred contracts, so it's not just the Mets that did it. A lot of teams do that just to try to create cap space so they're able to pay for other players. And plus, the Mets doing that actually in somehow ended up them getting David Wright because through the getting, the, they had extra money. They got Mike Hampton. Mike Hampton was signed somewhere else to Colorado. The Mets got a compensation pick, and that compensation pick in the draft was David Wright. That's true. Ken Griffey Jr. is getting paid $3.6 million every year until 2024. So, yeah, there are other people. But uh, it's known as a crappy contract from Mets fans, uh, a day to celebrate here. All right, anyways, we got a great show today. want to welcome in uh, Kevin Goldstein from Fangraphs. He's written for Baseball Prospectus, and he worked uh, on the Houston Astros. He was an executive there. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Hey, guys. How are you? I'm doing great. And, you know, before we start, why don't we uh, just, just start with you and maybe you can just give us a little bit of uh, background about your professional career, working with the Astros, and how you got now to Fangraphs. <laughs> my professional career is way too long. I'm an old man. Um, I, <laughs> I, you know, my baseball career started. It's a very, very long, boring story, but I, I kind of became a prospect guy um, and then had a lot of stuff going on. And then in 2012, for whatever reason, a lot of teams started talking to me. I joined the Houston Astros, uh, ended up uh, advancing within their org to special assistant to the GM. Uh, lasted there for eight years. Uh, got let go at the end of October of last year. Um, it happens in that industry. New administration wants to bring new people in. Kind of wanted to clear themselves of, of the Luno administration. Um, didn't know what I wanted to do for a while. Um, didn't do anything for a while, uh, and, and did get approached by some media people, um, a few places actually. And, and, um, and talking to Fangrass, it was the place for me and, and having a, a fantastic time. It's good to be writing again. It's good to be podcasting again. It's good to be with you. Yeah, no, uh, thanks so much. And, uh, you know, welcome to, to Fangrass. And, uh, why don't you tell the audience about, uh, your show? You do have a podcast on the network as well. Uh, I have a podcast called Chin Music. It comes out on Friday mornings most weeks. Uh, it is a long-form podcast about baseball, and it's ostensibly about baseball. Um, a lot of tangents as well, but uh, the revolving co-host chair, we have co-hosts ranging from you know friends here at Fangraphs, like Eric Longenhang and Ben Clemens, Jay Jaffe, to uh, other friends who are writers. You know, we have Mark Carrig to... Uh, people who might not be traditional baseball media. We had uh, Randy Wilkins, who's an independent filmmaker. Uh, this week, it's my friend Tim Marchman, who is uh, the editor of Motherboard, the tech site over at Vice. Um, we always have guests. Uh, we talk about culture. We have independent bands, music in every episode. They tend to be two to three hours and tend to uh, have a lot of tangents and be fun. Uh, it's P 
people who like it really like it and people who don't like it really don't. So it's, it's exactly what I want it to be. Yeah, <laughs> every Friday, along with uh, our show, Beat the Shift, that comes out on the Fangraphs uh, network here. Um, and we also have a bunch of guests every week, and uh, glad to have uh, you on uh, this very week. Yeah, sure. Happy to do it. So we're going to talk today a little bit about a deep dive into two more teams. We're going as we go around the uh, MLB landscape. We're going to talk about the Lone Star State teams of the Texas Rangers and the Houston Astros, who you might be familiar with. Uh, let's start with the Rangers. Uh, the Rangers likely won't make the playoffs this year, at least uh, by <laughs> you our— think? Yeah, at least by the uh, projections on Fangraphs. Uh, so we're talking, and from a fantasy perspective, as this show is geared more towards fantasy, it's always good to know who are going to be the trade candidates because uh, they might go into a better situation, better lineup, that it gives you more runs, more RBIs, and increases their fantasy value throughout the rest of the second half. Uh, who are the most likely trade candidates, you would think, for the Rangers? You know, a lot of people are talking about uh, you know, the bigger names like Joey Gallo and, and Kyle Gibson, who's having a great year. Um, but I think it's easy to to forget that those guys are not expiring contracts. You know, they both have one year of control after this year. They both can be Rangers in 2022. And so while I think Texas is listening on them, I don't th think that they are necessarily pressured to trade them this July. They might if the right offer comes along, but I think they're definitely going to hold out for that right offer and not just trade them for the purpose of trading them because they don't have to trade them or lose them because they're coming back next year at – uh, in terms of salary, very reasonable prices. You know, Gallup be at, go into another year ARB and Gibson, uh, his contract's front-loaded. And, and even if he achieves all his bonuses, he's still making less than $10 million next year. So both could be, you know, real reasonable players for them next year. And so I think they're listening on them. I don't think they see themselves as competing in 2022, but they're not, you know, really pressured to, to trade those two guys. I think, I don't think it's a necessary thing. I think, you know, a guy who's going to generate a lot of interest is actually Ian Kennedy. Um, you know, who's, who's done a, a admirable job as their closer this year. Um, not, and he's on an expiring contract and not only that, he's on an incredibly reasonable expiring contract. You know, he signed a, a very small kind of make good, please someone give me a deal kind of deal. And, and, and he's not making much money. It's not an impact on anybody's payroll. And, and I think he's probably your most likely guy to get dealt. And if Ian Kennedy gets traded, who is the possible closer there in Texas? I mean, they have actually they have five lefties in their bullpen. Who's going to close there? I, you know, throw a dart. Um, I don't think they'll necessarily pick on anyone. I think in terms of, you know, pure stuff. Even though he's got an ERA north of five, I think Joely Rodriguez has kind of his closer level stuff and might be given a shot to close. I think you can see Taylor Hearn give a shot. I think it's going to definitely be a, a closer by committee thing and. Um, like I'll be straight with you guys, just so you know, I don't play fantasy baseball and so I don't necessarily understand it, but I think you're going to kind of st at least start off if Kennedy moves on with, with a bit of a saves distribution as opposed to one guy just getting the ninth inning job. I think they're going to give opportunities. I'm going to go with uh, Josh Spores. Uh, he's got a uh, Sierra of 3.3, a 12K per nine. That's closer material. Joel Rodriguez, he's interesting. He's a lefty, but he's got a 70% ground ball rate, which is not that far above what he usually gets. That's fantastic. Uh, you know, if you, anything over 50 is usually fantastic. Uh, so I, I think they're going to give more shots to Spores and have Joel Rodriguez more in the eighth inning, if I had to guess. But uh, could be committed to start. Uh, I think they might actually try somebody out for next year and give more opportunities to one than the other. I think they'll actually move towards a single guy, uh, in my opinion. Um, let's uh, let's talk about uh, Adolis Garcia, who has been absolutely 
uh, enormous. I mean, this hot pace, he, he's batting 270, 20 homers so far, seven stolen bases, 55 RBIs. In a fantasy baseball rotisserie value, he is at $30 as the 16th best hitter in 5x5 Roto this season. Uh, and if you look at some of the uh, luck metrics, his BABIP 320, which is sort of normal for him. He's a little bit lucky in the homer to fly ball rate at about a 30%, but he's barreling balls, so a lot of it is legit. He could walk a little bit more. He's only at 5%. Does strike out a little bit, 30%. So I think that a guy like this, probably going to hit some regression, but not a wall. Curious on your thoughts uh, on Adelise Garcia. I, I think that's a fair way to put it. I think he's good. I don't think he's this good. I think the power is very real. All the all the underlying metrics suggest that the power is this real, and he really is a you know a 30-plus home run guy. I think you, know, you talked about the approach and, and guys with these kind of approaches, and, and his approach is you know, really poor in terms of swing decisions. Um, his walk rate's exceptionally low, strikeout rate's exceptionally high. Those kind of guys tend to regress, and, um, you know, the advanced people tend to catch up with them and, and figure out how to get them out because they have too many holes in what they're doing. I don't think he's a 270 hitter. I think he's a 35 home run hitter. I think he's a guy who's incredibly athletic and can steal 15 bases a year, but I just don't think he's a 270 hitter at the end of the day. And what's really what's really interesting is that his splits between home and road are very similar. On the road, he's batting 269 with 10 homers, and on the road, he's batting 271 with 10 homers. So it's not like he's getting any sort of home field advantage at, at the new stadium there. Yeah, it's, it's tough to deal with when you're talking about, you know, less than 150 AB sample sizes. But it, it, you're right. I mean, I think like the, his power plays anywhere. His power plays in any park you name. Yeah, most projections going forward have him at about a 230 batting average going forward with 15 more homers, making him a 30 home run player. Uh, I think that's fair. Uh, I think that that's right about there. Maybe a maybe a little bit higher with the batting average. I mean, his he hasn't been all that unlucky this year. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, he has not been all that lucky to get his 270. So uh, you know, somewhere in there. Uh, but a very very valuable player again. As I said regression, not a wall. Um, I for, I know you don't do fantasy, but uh, we like to play a, a rankings game here just to, to talk about some similar players around baseball outfielders that, you know, who would you rather have going forward for the rest of the season? So uh, answer as you would, maybe from a baseball sense, and, uh, you know, sure. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll fill in the gaps. Uh, would you rather have uh, Adelise Garcia going forward or Joey Gallo? Um, are we just talking about rest of his career? Season, rest of the season. Oh, rest of the season. Yeah. Um, you know, I it's it's funny because I'd, I'd still I'd take Gallo just because like you know even when Gallo's hitting two thirty he still has a higher OPS than than Garcia uh, because of all the walks and 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 equal to, or if and, you know, really greater raw power if, if one of the few guys you can say that about um, so you know a two thirty hitting Joey Gallo is a more valuable baseball player than Adoles Garcia so I'll take Gallo. You agree with it? I, I agree. Gallo is, I think, is more valuable. He, not only in name power, but in in just he, he has a history. You know that you know what you're going to get with him. Adolis Garcia, you don't know if he's going to drop off. Remember, Adolis Garcia has a 30 percent strikeout rate. So that's so you know you can compare it a little bit to Joey Gallo that way. But people are more scared, and and people try to protect against Joey Gallo more than Adolis Garcia. Okay, how about Michael Conforto versus those two? Conforto versus Adolis. Um, it, it's hard to figure out what's going wrong with, with Michael Conforto. Obviously, everyone was talking before the season started about Michael Conforto being a, you know, a big extension candidate. And all of a sudden, um, like most Mets hitters, he's having a really disappointing season. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of shocking to just look up and see he has two home runs. Um, 
you just don't understand what's happened to him. I don't know if he's playing hurt or playing through something. It's hard to say without having that kind of knowledge, but he's been so bad. I'd probably like just for the rest of the year, take a Dolis. You agree? Ruben? Yes, I agree. I mean, Conforto okay. right now, he's batting 219. He and a fantasy team that's very hard to roster, and you have a guy who's batting 270. Yes, even there's some regression. I can't see I can't see Conforto getting up to batting, let's say 250 or 260 for the rest of the season. I just the way he's hitting and okay. the lack of power, it's a little concerning. Okay, uh, how about a guy who's actually projected for better stats, uh, Anthony Santander? He's kind of a fascinating player, you know, and and yeah. and and uh, a player who. I think you know a lot of it because he's you know stuck playing for a really bad Orioles team is is, is kind of a bit underrated. You know, um, he's been hitting better of late. He has some of the same approach and strikeout concerns that you'd apply to Garcia. He doesn't have nearly as much power, so I would still take Garcia. Okay, moving. Yeah, I think I'd take Garcia over Santander as well. I think so too. How about Brandon Lau? Ugh, not my <laughs> kind of player. Um, okay. <laughs> you know he had oh, i'm gonna have a cat get in the way it's a cat everybody um yeah. so um you know i, I mean brandon lau has power and, and 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 draws walks and and doesn't really do much else and there's a strikeout rate that's out of control i think he's kind of shown us that he really is maybe just a 200 to 220 hitter and and i would uh i'd stay away final one for you george springer <laughs> spring uh, yeah give me springer i'll take springer okay. over any of these guys I, you he's, know george yes. springer Finally healthy. Um, I'm excited to see what he's going to do here. Um, you know, I know he's off to a tough start, but like you know, this is really you know kind of like a second spring training for him. Uh, yeah. He is showing power. The approach is really good. Um, he's just a special player. I don't, I don't. I don't think it's even close. All right. So on our auction scale here, he's uh, above the ten to fifteen dollar players, but markedly low, lower than the twenty dollar players. So we're talking about fifteen to twenty dollar value rest of season. He's going at thirty right now, but uh, that's that's about where you are. We're talking about 25th best outfielder in baseball in a rotisserie cent, number three outfielder, something like that. Makes sense to you? Uh, gut says he's better than that even. Uh, right, right. Okay, all right, good. Uh, let's uh, move on here. Uh, Dane Dunning, um, pitching, he has a 4.63 ERA but uh, and a 1.53 whip, which is actually unlucky. His BABIP is 380, which is humongous, and uh, he has uh, just a 70% strand rate, 75 strikeouts in 70 innings, good for a 1.5 war. He's been very, very valuable to Texas. The question is, you know, what do you see going forward? And more importantly, from a fantasy perspective, um, will he have an innings cap to the year? Will he all of a sudden say, ah, that's it, and he's done for the year at some point? Um, I think they've kind of managed his innings throughout the year uh, as opposed to just wanting to have a shutdown date for him or a shutdown number for him. You know, if you look at him going into today, it was he's averaging um, well under five innings a start. You know, they, they have they have managed his workload pretty reasonably or, or if not overly reasonably um, where, you know, most nights he's going four or five. So I think they're going to try to manage that throughout the season. So I don't necessarily think there'll be an innings cap where they're just going to say, you know, you've reached this number and shut down. I think they'll try to get him to take the bump every five days from here on out. It's just, he's not going to pitch deep into games, period. He has good stuff. It's interesting stuff. Um, it's more control over command. He, he fills the box, but he doesn't necessarily locate very well, which is where a lot of these hits come from. Uh, he tends to keep the ball on the ground, which is, a, which is good. Not too many fly balls. It, it's, I think he's a good pitcher. I think he's going to be, you know, I think the ceiling's a three, more likely a four, but, you know, a number four starter is a very valuable piece. Absolutely. You agree with it? 
Yeah, I agree. The only issue I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about, he's never thrown more than 136 innings in a, in a total season in the minors. Last year, he only threw 34. So, yes, they're managing his innings here, but I can't see them trying to get more than, I mean, we're half, almost halfway through the season already, but I can't see them throwing more than 150 innings this inning this this season, which means that they're they're rationing his innings, which is what they should be doing, but you're not going to see his full potential until they're able, until you get them to see Two times, three times through the order, which is what they're not really getting him a chance to do right now. Yeah, either way, to me, he's a matchup play in fantasy because he's not going to get you those wins because he's not going deep into games. And uh, even if he does, he's probably going to be capped at the end of the year. One or the other is going to be true, I think. Uh, so not not a huge gain for fantasy. But again, you know, it depends who he's facing. And uh, for the right matchup, it might work. I want to end the Rangers discussion with prospects. Um, maybe you, can, you can tell us, Kevin, about a couple of pr- prospects for the Rangers that may have an impact as early as this year and maybe uh, some good ones to be aware of for next year. You know, the Rangers have a really good system, and, and it's you know I think there's things to be uh, excited about. Uh, it's, it's interesting in that a lot of their really impressive prospects, guys who are you really excited by are, are upside guys who are you know, 18, 19 years old. So as far as guys coming quick, I think there's a lot of talk about Josh Jung, who was a third baseman, was a first-round pick a couple uh, years ago out of Texas Tech, who, who I saw as an amateur. Uh, I think he's going to hit for average. I'm not sold on the power ceiling with Josh, um, but I do think he's going to hit for average, and I think he's you know the most logical way to look at him is he's going to be the third baseman for the Rangers once Joey Gallo is not a Ranger, and and, and uh, you know and once they and obviously Joey plays in the outfield, but I think they're going to try to make a spot for him um, as early as the second half of next year because he he. He can hit. I, I think it's going to be – you get frustrated because he's like 6'2", he's 225. He looks like he should hit for power, but he's just not that kind of hitter. It's just not in him. Um, you know, and, and he, right in his debut, he hit two home runs and um, you know 174 at-bats. He definitely has shown a little bit more power so far this year. Uh, we'll see what happens there, but I think he's kind of their top offensive prospect. Most of their pitching prospects are guys who are kind of far away. I think Cole wins a guy you could see more next year than this. I don't think they're going to push too many of these guys this year because there's just no reason to. Um, and then as a sleeper guy who I like in their system, he shows up on most top tens, but I think he's better than a lot of people think is Davis Wenzel, who uh, is a college third baseman as well, to Baylor, who I think can really hit. All right. On to the Houston Astros. And, and before we talk about, you know, this current year team, there's, I just have to ask, you know, you being you working on the team yeah. for, for eight years, you know, what, what would you say would be uh, maybe a player that throughout your tenure there that you were really super high on and you were able to communicate that to upper management that, look at this guy, he's a star, let's go with him. And then some some player that you really made an impact by you talking up or whatever it is and, and you were right about or maybe um, wrong, I don't know. Yeah, I see it, but you, you you think about what you were wrong about way more than what you think you were right about. Like right. you don't learn anything from what you were right about, and I, and I think you know when you lie in bed at night, you think way more about your mistakes, or at least I do. Um, I mean, there were a lot of things that I was a part of, but I hate. I, I've I've never been a fan of scouts or executives kind of doing what I call keeping score. Um, you know, I'm really glad, and I pushed very hard uh, to to sign Yuli Gurriel. But, you know, there were six people at the workout with me. Um, There's a, a huge number of analysts behind the scenes looking at Yuli. And so, you know, everything like that's a team effort. And it's hard to, I don't think it's ever really right to go, hey, that's my guy. Like, he's here because of me. Um, 
I think it's kind of just a weird way to go. There are plenty of players that I push for, um, you know, Yuli, Jordan, all sorts of guys, but like to say, hey, that's because of me, I, I just think it's kind of dishonest. Right, right, right. Okay, no, no doubt, and, and uh, thank you for, for the candor there. Um, speaking of Yuli Gurriel, uh, you know, he, he's having a phenomenal year. He's accumulated 2.4 war so far in the first half, batting 328. We always knew he's a plus 300 player. Uh, 10 home runs to boot. We've seen the power outbursts like he did a couple years ago. Um, you know, the Astros not just have Gurriel, who's over 30, but we have a couple of guys over 30 who are really carrying the load on this fantastically offensive, uh, hungry team. Altuve, 3.0 war. Michael Brantley, 1.9. And then you got Zach Greinke and Ryan Presley, who are over 30, who are really fortifying the starting pitching. And Presley has really taken the, the pretty much the sole lead of the uh, of the bullpen. Um, can you, do, because the team is more aged than most, especially at the top. How does that translate for them keeping up this strong pace down the season? Do, is this, do you see a fade, or do you see uh, these guys just you know doing what they're doing and, and flying through the end of the year? Um, yeah, I don't have too many concerns. Brantley's always a guy who tends to get hurt at some point um, and needs like a DL stint, and you know it'll, it'll probably, probably happen at some point. Um, you know, it already has. You know, he's only played sixty games, and he, he's a guy, kind of guy you expect one hundred and thirty games from, and that's you know as long as he's healthy in October, they'll be fine with that. Um, Yuli is, and both Yuli and Altuve are just kind of special dudes where I don't really think about their birthday too much. You know, I genuinely believe, um, if Yuli Gurriel was not from Cuba and did not have such attachments to his home country, as well as the Cuban national team as he did in his twenties and, and, you know, pulled the path that a lot of players did and, and came over when he was, you know, 18 or 19 or whatever, that we would, you know, we'd be, Jay Jaffe would be writing pieces about Yuli Gurriel's hall of fame possibilities really? and they would be very, and, and they would be very high. I think he's one of the best baseball players of all time, and we just lost his prime. Um, we yeah. just got the back end of it because of his career. I think he would be a Hall of Fame player. I really do. I think we'd be talking about right now, you know, him approaching three thousand hits. There'd be no question in my mind. Um, you know, he's an absolutely special hitter. Uh, but you know, obviously the age is going to play a role. Like you said, Cranky's thirty-seven, um, and and has been worked hard. You know, he's over. He's on pace for two hundred something innings. The same time, like you know, as you guys know, Zach Greinke's not a huge high-stress arm. He's not going out there and, and pumping 98 all night. He's pumping 89 all night. Um, you know, and even though he's had a tick up this this year, he's more 91, 92. But he's not the kind of guy who I, I think you have too much concern. He's got a long track record of, of making his start. So I think the bigger concern, you know, in terms of age, it's not necessarily this year. It might be more next, you know, and plus obviously the fact they're going to lose players next year. You know, they do have guys who are free agents and guys who are going away and they're going to have to, to retool some things. And, um, but I'm not too concerned about any of those guys for the rest of this year in terms of, of, of baseball or fantasy value. Speaking of which, Carlos Correa is actually leading the team in war right now for all the hitters at 3.6. Is he going to be an Astro next year? What do you think? No, no. I think you're watching Carlos Correa's last year for the Astro. I think he wants to be a free agent. Um, I think there's a chance he'll listen to the Astros once he reaches free agency, but I don't expect him to sign an extension. I think he, I, I expect him to become a free agent. Do the Mets overpay on Lindor, you think, with, with the, the whole class of shortstops coming up now? No. I, well, I mean, you're asking me a question that I think it's hard to answer without being political. Um, make your money. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't. I'd rather I'd rather have Lindor have that money than Steve Cohen. So I'm, I don't care. It's fine with me. Not my money. It's not yours. It's great. Go, go, I like go. That answer. Go Lindor. I like that answer. <laughs> OK, right, right, right. All right. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, not, yeah. not to belabor the point, but like it's I, yeah, I, I yeah. don't I don't. 
I'm not a fan of those, those kind, that, that kind of subject in the sense that I'm not a fan of anyone calling well, a player overpaid or anything like that. Just in the um, sense that, like, it, it, you have a choice. Like, the money's there. And that's a, that's, a, that's a stone cold fact. The money's there. It's your choice. You want the owners to have it or the players? I'll take the players every time. Make your money. Yeah, but I mean the question, uh, and uh, I get that point, and a hundred percent. But um, you know, if you have th- if you have uh, three hundred twenty-four million dollars to spend over ten years, you can spend it on A or you can spend it on B. You know, mm-hmm. and there might be option B. No, no, available. no, that's a false choice. You can spend it on A and B. Steve Cohen has the money to spend on A and B. Period. Right. Period. Don't the period. Don't buy it. <laughs> you know? I know. I... Period. He can spend – Francisco Lindor's contract should not mm-hmm. impede the Mets from, from spending money elsewhere. Right. And, and if you weren't the Mets, if you were a team that's more budget-minded, then you, would, then you can answer that then question, you're, then, right? you're, then your budget's a lie. No. Owning a baseball team is a license to print money, period. Don't, okay. don't, don't, believe, don't believe the hype, baby. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Um, <laughs> let, let's move on to two guys who are really also fantastic this year. Um, Kyle Tucker just seemed like a prospect who, um, you know, maybe was uh, uh, blocked somewhat over the last couple of years, but who, who's now shining and continues to grow. And Miles Straw has uh, absolutely exceeded expectations. I mean, in fantasy, you bought him for his stolen bases, but He's been enormous. Um, his contact rate is way up. Uh, he, he stopped swinging. His O swing is down. He's swinging less at pitches out of outside the zone. He's walking at a 10.5 clip. Um, can, can you talk a little bit about those two players who you probably know uh, who are more familiar with us than us? Yeah, sure. I mean, Kyle, it's, it's, I think Kyle was always bound for stardom. And, and it's funny because, you know, right now he's hitting like, I don't have a formula, like, like 270 or so with 13 bombs. And, um, and he's actually been really unlucky this year. You know, he's been way better than that in terms of his X stats and unexpected probabilities off the, you know, the balls off the bat and things like that. He's been uh, star level this year. And, and I think he's going to, he's nowhere to go but up. He's 24 years old. I think at the end of the day, you're probably talking about, in, in my mind, kind of a 280 to 300 hitter who can hit 25 to 35 home runs a year. I think you're talking about that good a player. Um, Straw, I, I've always seen as more of a fourth outfielder. Um, you know, he doesn't have any slug in him. Uh, he is getting on base much better this year than he had in the past. And if he can yeah. be a 350 on base guy with that kind of defense, um, maybe he is a second division starter. And maybe I was low on him. Um, you know, in a, in a previous generation, he'd probably steal 50 a year. In today's game, he's going to steal 25, 30 a year. Um, play the really good defense. And, and again, like if you can keep up like a 350 OBP, he really does have value. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Moving. Yeah, I just want to throw out a couple of stats here that I, that I when I was researching as I saw. Um, Kyle Tucker over the last 20, 25 games is batting over 330 with two home runs and a couple stolen bases. Miles Straw over the same period of time is also batting 330 with two home runs and actually has five stolen bases. Um, you mentioned Kyle Tucker having some power there. Who do you think is going to end up with more home runs this year? Do you think it's going to be Kyle Tucker or do you think it's going to be Jordan Alvarez? Because right now they both have the same amount of home runs. You're saying Kyle Tucker's being a little bit unlucky right now. Who do you think ends up with more home runs this year? Jordan, no question. Jordan has some of the, the best power in all of baseball. Kyle Tucker has plus or better raw. Jordan's nearly 80. Um, Jordan has more raw, raw power than anyone in the Astros and, you know, arguably top five, inarguably top 10 raw power in, in the game. So you got to take Jordan. And who hit one today about 440 feet? Will he ever play? Will he ever play the field? I think you'll see it like it is now with like occasional fill ins and left. Um, he was, he's, uh, you know, realistically, the, his best glove is a batting glove. Um, and and I, I don't think you'll ever see him play the majority of his games in the field. 
And, and from your knowledge, is he fully healthy? Um, as healthy as you could be if you're Jordan. Um, I think his knees yeah. are always going to be a problem. Um, the, the knees feel good right now. Um, but, you know, his knees are, are you know, always going to probably need a, a, you know, a, a day here and there. All right. What do you think the Astros' biggest needs are for a deadline trade? I'm assuming that they would be buyers, not sellers. Um, to me, you, I mean, the, the standard answer is, well, you can always use relief pitchers. Actually, they've only accumulated .8 war, and with Presley being over, they're actually a negative war in the bullpen. Yeah, uh, the bullpen's a nightmare. Um, yeah. You know, they, they have, it's the best offense in baseball. I don't, I don't think you could argue that. Um, they have a really good rotation and a deep rotation. I don't think that's going to be any. I think their entire focus is going to be on the bullpen because after Ryan Presley, I don't know who you have in there that you can count on. And the answer is zero. There's no real dependable reliever to take care of those bridge innings between the starter and getting to Presley. And I, I, I expect them to acquire multiple relievers this month. I guess the simple answer was the right answer, right? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes yeah. you don't need to look too hard. Yeah. And is, is Christian Javier going to stay in that bullpen, or are you going to see him move to starter at some point? Because he started off as a starter. Now he's now he's, he's, he's coming out of the bullpen. And with um, Jose Arquiti going on the IL uh, this week, do you think it's a possibility of Christian Javier coming up and being starter again? I mean, it's a possibility. I, I think his long-term, he's a starter. Uh, whether it happens this year or not is still TBD, and I think it's going to be depend on, on, like you said, Arquiti's health and, and things like that. Um, you know, the, much of their rotation is kind of fixed. Uh, you know, when you think about Granky Garcia, I mean, they have five right now, even with their kitty on the DL with Granky Garcia, McCullers, Odorizzi, uh, and Framber. So, you know, it's, it's tough to find that, that starting spot for him. Um, but I do think long-term he is a member of the rotation. Who, who do you like to see, uh, as the Astros going after in the bullpen? We're talking like Richard Rodriguez, uh, that type of trade. I, I think Richard Rodriguez is a good name. I think Chris Stratton with the Pirates is another good name kind of guy who I think, uh, you know, definitely can appeal to the Astros for his ability to spin the baseball and, and a guy who I think, uh, you know, you could argue could use some astrification, if you will. And, you know, a lot of pitchers got a lot of credit for getting way better with the Astros. And not all of that was, was, was necessarily making stuff better. You know, so much of it that people didn't realize, I think, behind the scenes was just simply taking what a pitcher can do and using it differently in terms of location and usage percentages. And um, sometimes that's the real key, and I, I think there are ways to make Chris Stratton better by simply changing his location and how he uses what he can already do. Um, so I think that's a couple of pirate arms who could definitely come up. But there's a lot of relief guys out there um, that, that are pretty interesting. Um, there are guys I would stay away from, but uh, they'll find their dudes. And I know Josh James is rehabbing from the hip surgery. Mm -hmm. What do you think his role is going to be when he comes back? Pure pen. Yeah, I think Josh is a pen arm, um, and I think he's going to be groomed from here on out as a pen arm. He's, I believe he's about to go out to AAA uh, for, for some rehab stuff. The hip's finally feeling okay. And um, I, I I like Josh. I like Josh's stuff. I also really like Josh as a person. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm biased and I'm rooting for Josh uh, to do well. He's got really good stuff. And obviously, as you guys know, the, the, the command and precision can be a little bit all over the place at times. But I think his, his overall game is really suited for the pen much better. Prospects who uh, are from the Astros organization might come up and make a pro an impact this year. Uh, this year, I think it's tough. You know, I don't think I'm not sure they have this year guys. Um, I, I think anyone who comes up this year are more kind of fill-ins. And like we said, I mean, they're, and that's okay. Like they're uh, they're kind of set for this year as far as what the roster looks like, other than the bullpen. You know, I thought there was a chance that a guy like Sean Dubin might be able to fill in the bullpen this year, but he's he's off to a, a rougher than expected start in the minor leagues this year. I think you're talking more about guys who are going to show up next year or even the year after that. Um, you know, a guy like Jeremy Pena is, is 
uh, you know, the shortstop of the future once Correa goes away. Um, he had unfortunate surgery. He's going to miss all this year. And he was really groomed to be the, the starting shortstop next year. He's a, he's a plus defender. He can hit. There's power there. He's got a good approach. Uh, it's absolutely 80 makeup. He's one of the, the best human beings you'll ever deal with. Um, and, and we'll see how he comes back from that surgery. I think a sleeper, a guy who's having a really nice year in the minors and is kind of moving up in prospect boards is Corey Lee. He was the first round pick a couple of years ago at Cal. He's a catcher with uh, a fantastic approach, draws walks, plus power, uh, and an absolute cannon for an arm back there. And, and um, he's a double A right now, hitting bombs almost every day for Corpus. I think he's a guy who's moving up a lot of charts and, and is you know likely the catcher of the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, before we uh, let you go, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, predictions. How do you see the AL West shaken up? I, it's probably one of the more predictable uh, divisions in baseball. I, 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 if I had to bet, the three of us might actually come up with the same prediction, is my guess. But uh, let, let, why don't you go first and tell me your 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 order of how the AL West will shake up? Um, I think the three, four, five are going to go as they are right now. I think Seattle will finish in third place. I think they're going to finish with. I'm going to say 82 wins because it would be cool if they finished over 500, and I think they are a sneaky good team. There's my cat. I think the Angels will finish in fourth, make a few games under 500. I think the Rangers will finish well out of it. And as far as first and second, I, I don't think it's a slam dunk you know, for Houston to win it. I think Houston you, know, you might look at the run differential or something and say, oh, this is no question about it. Um, but I think Oakland could be a real sneaky team this July, and I could see, I think of them as maybe one of the three or four teams most likely to make a big splashy move and add a big name, a guy who really impacts their chances. Um, and at the same time, you know, going into the day, they're only half a game out. I don't, I don't think this division is really easy, as easy to predict as some people might think. Moving. Yeah, I, I, I tend to think the same thing. The bottom three, they're going to stay the same. Um, I think that Seattle is. Next year, I think, is going to be the beginning of their window. I think that's when their prospects, I think that's when Kalenic is actually going to start clicking. He's going to figure out how to hit off-speed stuff, and they're going to be a team to reckon with if they can sign a, a good starting pitcher as well. Um, and the bottom two, also, that's not going to change. As it comes to the top two, I, the athletics always seem to find a way to be in it for the race to the very, very end. And if you look at the schedule, Houston is playing Oakland Friday, Saturday, Sunday, September 24th through 26th. It's very possible that the division will be settled that weekend. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say that the order is going to stay exactly the same, that the Astros will finish a little bit ahead of the Athletics, Mariners, Angels, and Rangers in that order. Uh, funny, uh, Fangraphs uh, projections do not have that. They actually have the Angels finishing ahead of the Mariners currently by about six games which is very very interesting. Do you, do you know why that would be? Any any sense? They're going to they're going to have the best uh, second half edition in baseball when Mike Trout comes back. Uh true yes. or maybe they're miscounting and counting Otani twice. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, interesting. Well, we'll uh, have to uh, see what happens. Um, all right. Well, why don't you let us know, Kevin? Uh, just tell the audience here, uh, uh, you know, where they can uh, check out your work, um, your where they can find you on Twitter, and uh, all things Kevin Goldstein. Um, yeah. If you want to read my stuff, obviously go to Fangrass.com. I, I tend to have three or four things up a week. I chat every Monday. The podcast Chin Music is up every Friday. If you got three hours to kill. If you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, where people yell at me and call me an asshole, it's Kevin underscore Goldstein. 
All right, check that uh, those uh, <laughs> tweets out. That sounds interesting. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Uh, k- k- uh, what do you have uh, down the pike? Uh, next couple of articles that you're working on? Just um, I mean, we're pretty draft heavy. Um, you know, Eric Eric Longenhing and I are working on a mock right now, working the phones right now, and talking to people. Um, and so we'll probably we'll have a mock out. I, I need. A, I don't know if we're going to talk about. It. I don't know if we're publishing stuff on Monday or not. If it's not, it'll be up Tuesday. But I think it's going to be on Monday. Um, this week I talked about kind of a state of the organization for all 30 teams and kind of where they are entering the July trade season in terms of buyers, sellers, what they might be looking for, how they tend to operate, uh, internally in terms of trades, uh, going to talk about next year will be next week will be live draft stuff. So mock talking about some, some scouting reports, uh, explaining how teams operate in the draft room, things like that. Um, and then once the draft is over, uh, we'll be, have our, our annual, uh, trade values thing. And then obviously be covering all of the transactions as they come out down the road. There you go. Uh, and for those of you who have not read Kevin Goldstein, you, you should, I mean, just, uh, yeah, maybe, yeah, uh, from, <laughs> listen, guys, from listening to the show, yeah. such, such a deep understanding of, of the intimate, uh, nature of players, all throughout baseball, obviously he grew up as a scout person, and uh, you did work for Prospectus for a while, right? I did. I was a baseball prospectus uh, for many years before I joined the Astros. I yeah, when I finished up, I was uh, God, I was all over the place. I was a baseball prospectus. I was also doing stuff for ESPN, and I had a show on um, on MLB Network Radio. There you go. So yeah, once again, thank you so much, uh, Kevin, for joining the show. Uh, we'll be back, Ruben and I, with waiver wire and pitching preview, and it Ruben's injury report in just a moment. All right, we're back, and uh, time for the waiver wire, Ruben. Who are a couple guys that you might want to pick up on your fantasy squads this week? Okay, we're going to go a little deep diving here. The first player I'm going to mention is Reese McGuire. If you need a catcher for Toronto for this season, he's batting 315, one homer and five RBIs. But his last six games, he's batting 368, which means that he's going to make Alejandro Kirk, who's going to be coming back from the injured list very soon, he's going to make him earn his job back. He's only owned in 8% of CBS leagues. He's playing almost every day. He's a guy that if you're streaming catchers, he's a guy you should be streaming at this point. Another guy I want to mention is Lamonte Wade of San Francisco, who's first base and outfield eligible. For the season so far, he's got he's got a 268 average, six homers, two stolen bases, 14 RBIs with Brandon Belt on the IL. He's going to get more playing time. So the, San Francisco, they keep rotating the guys in the outfield. Lamonte Wade is going to play a lot of first bases. When I when I caught a game recently, he was playing first base, and he's only six percent owned on CBS. So he's available in most leagues, and Brandon Belt's not coming back for at least another couple of weeks. So he'll get his playing time. I like the Reese McGuire pick. Excellent choice of catcher, which is often very overlooked. It's often great to stream catchers, and McGuire definitely should be rank up on there on that tremendous uh, offense out in Toronto or wherever they're playing today, um, <laughs> Dunedin to Buffalo, wherever you might be. Uh, but in terms of Giants, I'm going to go with a different first baseman that I think you should pick up this week. Uh, Lamonte Wade works. I have him on, on one team that I picked up last week. But how about Wilmer Flores? Uh, old crying Mets guy, 17% owned on CBS, 263 on the year, 
with seven homers in just 186 at-bats. Um, in today's fantasy baseball game, batting average is really hard to come by. I mean, the, the league average has been going south, so a 260 average today is amazing uh, It's it, it, compared to what it was. It, it, it's worth like 270, 275 in yesteryear. Um, check out his batting averages since 215 every single year. 263 in 2015, then 267, 271, 267, 317 in 2019, 268, 263. The lowest batting average he's had in that span in any single year of 263. That is enormous. That's a guy who can fortify your batting average. And uh, in the last two weeks, he's batting 358 with four homers, 10 runs, nine RBIs. Uh, just as you said, Brandon Belt is out. He plays first base, um, and he can do it. Now, he versus lefties, you're going to see him in uh, every single time. He has got a 117 WRC plus lifetime. Um, in, in terms of versus right-handers, he's pretty good at 97. Not such a big gap, actually, between lefties and righties. Uh, certainly better versus lefties, but Wilmer Flores, a guy. I want to mention a couple of other guys. Um, Jean-Carlos Mejia, a pitcher uh, on the Indians, only 12% owned on CBS. Looks like he has a spot for now in the rotation. Um, he's had about a 5 ERA to date, but uh, Sierra, and according to the bat projections, somewhere around a 4 ERA. Good strikeout rate. He's got 22 strikeouts in 23 innings with a 118 whip. Deeper league play here. This is a rookie upside play. Uh, if you want to throw a dart, that might be interesting. I'll mention two others. One a stolen base guy, one a power guy. How about Aristides Aquino? Remember in uh, in 2019 he had that barrage of home runs? Well, he's only 3% owned on CBS. He's a guy that I'm going to say 50% chance that he just is a bench guy and comes in for one, two at-bats every other day. But, but that upside is there, and if he gets hot in a hot streak and he's going to a good park, that could be a streamer. That could be a guy who can hit 15 home runs down the stretch and might help your fantasy team. There's some probability about that. So if you are in last place or if you need a spark, take a gamble on him. He's a free dart. But how about this guy, John Birdie? You know, where do you expect to find stolen bases on the waiver wire? Where? John Birdie is is a guy who's going to steal down the stretch. He's got seven stolen bases so far in just 190 at-bats. And you know what? He's actually making good contact this year. His K-rate down to 20%. He's walking at a 13% clip. Uh, his BABIP this year is a 278, which is really low for him. That's about 60%, 60 points lower than his career average. But check out this statistics. Um, in the months May, oh, sorry, March, April, May, June, July, in his career, he has a total number of stolen bases of eight. August, 15 career stolen bases, September, October, 11. He's a guy that starts to steal in the end of summer, in September, October. He's a guy that can really add a spark late with stolen bases. If you're looking for anything, if you need help, Birdie's the perfect guy, and he's really widely available. I'd highly suggest you pick him up. Well, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to the Wilmer Flores thing because he's actually playing third base now because Evan Longoria is on the aisle also, and they don't know he, he's supposed to come back mid July, but he's playing there. And they also have Tommy Listello, who's on a rehab assignment, but he fractured his thumb, so he's gonna be out longer also. So 
uh, what's his name? Wilmer Flores is going to be playing at third base. He's going to be playing at second base. He's going to be playing at first. I like that. And for John Birdie, I love that speed. Another guy you want to keep in the back of your mind, not for now, but we were talking about the Rangers earlier today, but Leody Tavares. A lot of people drafted him earlier this year about thinking about getting get stolen bases from him. It's very possible that they want to see what they get out of him and they bring him up later in the year. So he may be a guy, when you hear his name called and they're getting called up, he's a guy also to think about for stolen bases. It's funny that before the season started, I had three uh, guys that I was thinking of for cheap steals, cheap 30 steals. One was Birdie, one was Leody Tavares, and the other was Miles Straw, uh, which we all mentioned on the show. Uh, you know, guys, these are difference makers on squads, and uh, these are cheap darts, and especially guys who end up on the waiver wires. You take that cheap dart. You take that small, you know, small uh, uh, capital risk, and, and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't, but worth rostering uh, for the, for especially in 2021 when steals are just at a huge premium. Pitcher preview, uh who are this week's two star pitchers or one start matchups that you like to stream? Okay, well I'm going to start with Ryan Weathers, San Diego. Um he's scheduled right now for two start for against Washington and against Colorado. He's only 28% owned right now in CBS and he, he's going to pitch because Nelson Lamette, he's on the IL. You don't know how long he's going to be out for. So Ryan Weathers was called up, and he is going to pitch. I think he's they're scheduling possibly. He may not be two-start because the thing that's starting him over the weekend, so if they are starting over the weekend, he may not be two-start. But he's still a guy you're going to want to have because he's pitched actually pretty decently when he's been around in the majors this year. Another guy that I want to mention is Kyle Muller. I actually saw him live in person last time when I went to a DeGrom game. He pitched against DeGrom. It was his first major league start. He pitched before, but his first major league start, and he looked really good. And he's had two starts so far for only nine total innings because they're trying to build up his, his innings level. He only given up two hits in those nine innings and only one run with 12 strikeouts. He's supposed to pitch this weekend against Miami. If he does well, he's a guy you may want to get because you never know when the Braves get hot. The Braves get hot, and they scored 20 runs the other day. If they get a lot of offense, he's going to be in line for a lot of wins. Well, I'll mention three guys. How about uh, from Texas Rangers? I could have talked about him earlier in the show. Colby Allard, only 20% owned. The schedule this week versus Detroit versus Oakland. He has a 3.46 ERA on the year with 108 whip. 49 strikeouts in 52 innings, but what impresses me is his low walk rate. He's got a 5% walk rate. Uh, this is definitely in a deeper league. To take a dart on a two-start week might be an interesting play. Um, two other guys to mention, Martin Perez, who's having a really good year on the Sox. Uh, 30% owned, a little bit uh, more shallower maybe than than 15-team league, uh, playing the Angels and Phillies. 2-0 in his last three outings with a 1-9-3 ERA over that span. Uh, he interests me. Uh, and how about John Gray? John Gray, this we're talking 10, maybe 12. Maybe he's available in your 12-team league. Uh, he's got at Arizona, at San Diego, which means at a Colorado this year. Uh, but pitching on the last day before the All-Star break, he could go long uh, in these outings, especially coming back uh, from being out for a little bit. Lots of Ks. I mean, John Gray is a guy who's going to get you lots of Ks, 16Ks over his last two outings. Um, but to me, Gray could be a hold because if there's going to be trade candidates for pitchers you know, in the next month, Rockies are probably going to look to unload, and John Gray really fits teams. Um, I, I think that he might end up in a pretty good situation if I had to bet. Um, and I would say that Gray is worth owning for the this week and for the dart of the improved metrics where he can go getting out of Colorado onto a winning team, out of the thin air. John Gray it, it should be owned even in a 10-12 team league at this point 
for this week. And because John Gray just came off the IL, he's only 55% owned in CBS leagues. I know in my CBS league, which happens to be a 13-team league, I scooped him up last week, and I put him in, and he pitched well this week to begin with. So, That's right. That's the league that we're doing together, right? That's correct. Yeah, and we're doing well in that league, so there you go. All right, injury update time. Ruvain, hit us with uh, this week's injuries. Okay, well, I'm first going to start with a bunch of guys that we already mentioned. We'll start with Brandon Belt. He's on the aisle with right knee inflammation. Um, he has minimal structural damage and is expected to avoid surgery, but there's no clear timetable for his return. We already mentioned the possible fill-ins for him. The Nelson Lamette, I mentioned him just now. He's on the aisle with right forearm inflammation. We mentioned his fill-in, Ryan Weathers, so there's no timetable for when Lament will come back, so you know, jump on Ryan Weathers. Jose Urquidy, I mentioned earlier on the show also with, with Goldstein, um, and he said that, well, he, he's high on, on, on Urquidy, but Urquidy is on the aisle with shoulder discomfort. MRIs showed tightness and inflammation, but no structural damage. You don't know how long he's going to be out for. Um, I'm sure by now everyone's seen that gruesome injury for, by Josh Naylor when he got his ankle turned. He's having surgery this weekend. It's, I think, supposed to be on Friday to repair multiple fibula fractures and ligament tears. Um, more will be known about his recovery after that. But another guy, Cheap Steel's guy, Oscar Mercado, was called up. So he's a guy to watch for. Kettle Marte was placed on the IL retroactive to June 27th with a hamstring injury. We don't know the full severity yet. Hamstrings can be a while. They can be up to three, four weeks sometimes, sometimes longer. Paven Smith will see more time in the outfield, especially because the, the uh, other guy who was playing in the outfield as well, Tim LaCastro, was actually traded to the Yankees. Mark Hanna, a guy we have a lot of shares in, is on the IL with left hip strain. His MRIs showed left hip tendonitis. He received a PRP injection to both of his hips. Athletics manager Bob Melvin said that it's probably a stretch right now for him to return before the All-Star break. So other guys you should look for on that team to get more playing time, Tony Kemp and Seth Brown. Freddie Galvez was placed on the IL with a right quad strain. You have a couple guys you want to throw darts also who are getting some playing time. Roman, Roman, Ramon Urias and Domingo Leba are possibilities. Willie Calhoun had a fracture. This is also Texas Rangers. He fractured his ulna bone. He had surgery. There's no timetable yet for him to come back. A couple guys coming back soon. Jonathan VR. He's currently on a rehab assignment. He will be back hopefully next week. Same with J.D. Davis. He's on a rehab assignment. Can hopefully be back in the next couple a week or so. Corey Seager was shut down because he experienced pain in his hand. We There's no timetable for his return. Dodgers manager said that his wrist and hand is just not responding the way they wanted to. Another guy who may be available, Travis Shaw. He's on the 60-day IO with dislocated shoulder, but he's not having surgery, so he may be eligible to return as soon as August 10th. And if he's available and you have a spot, he's a guy to pick up. All right. That is the injury report for this week. Thank you, Ruvain. Before we go, Ruvain, uh, why don't you just tell everybody where we can find you, read your stuff, and all things Ruvain Guy. You can follow me on Twitter at MLB Injury Guru, where I tweet out injury updates. Next guy up, how long I think they're going to be out based on my medical opinion. You can also catch my weekly article on Rotoball, which comes out on Saturdays to help prime you for the Sunday fab. And I'm Ariel Cohen. You can find me over at Fangraphs, along with Kevin Goldstein, as he was on our show earlier this week, uh, earlier this uh, episode, I should say. Um, and you can read my stuff over at Sportsline and Rotoballer. 
And you can find me on Twitter at ATCNY. And, of course, listen to me right here on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs uh, each and every week. We'll have a couple shows next week. Looking forward. We'll have our half se- mid-season wrap-up uh, with uh, Paul Sporer and Justin Mason of The Sleeper and the Bust. We're actually going to do yet another crossover, a Fangraphs crossover with our buddies over there uh, on uh, the Sleeper and the Bust podcast. Looking forward to that. Uh, and uh, there we go. All right, from all of us here at Beat the Shift, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.